Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Where do people experiencing homelessness go when their campsite is swept away? And how does Portland fare on the issue compared to other cities? Is it possible that we have more resources and a better plan? I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Before we start, a quick thank you to our sponsor, Pacific Source, for supporting the show. Up next, reporter Nicole Hayden talks about the latest issues surrounding homelessness in Portland. We talked about the recent sweep of a long-established campsite at Laurelhurst Park. The plan pushed by Commissioner Dan Ryan to build more arrest sites with social services at six places across the city, how she gets her sources when people are often pushed from one area of town to the other, and whether things are really as bad as they feel right now. Here's our conversation. Nicole Hayden, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. So Nicole, it's been a long, hot summer and it's not yet over. There's so much going on in the city related to uh, issues involving people experiencing homelessness. And I'm curious, when you're talking to people who are out there living on the streets or in these tent communities, what are their biggest issues right now? When I'm out there chatting with folks, um, the most immediate need is, you know, places to cool off during the hot weather. So we've seen some cooling centers pop up, but sometimes folks don't want to go to those places because they don't want to leave their tent and all their items. So finding ways to stay cool while still in their tent is top of mind right now. And then also um, the need for more outdoor shelters, more mental health services, and of course, more housing is always top of mind for people. Now, we're talking on July 30th, and one of the city's larger encampments at Laurelhurst Park was um, swept away this week, and you were there. I mean, what's it look and feel like when an encampment that has been around for a while, like that one, is is evicted? Can you kind of describe what the scene was like? Yeah, there are a lot of feelings of deep anxiety for the homeless residents who are um, being asked to move elsewhere. That anxiety comes from the fact that they often lose a lot of their personal possessions during the sweep. Uh, They often don't know where they're going to sleep next. They fear that where they do set up next, they'll just be asked to move again. And even more than that, um, the encampment becomes a community. So people have anxiety because they're um, being pushed away from their community, their friends, the people they feel safe with, and will often have to now uh, camp alone, which feels more dangerous and creates more anxiety. So that's the feeling that's happening. It, what it looks like is um, a ton of police surrounding the area. Um, mm-hmm. There really weren't any like aggressive police actions, but there's a police presence there for support. Um, so that can feel intimidating just because there are so many. Uh, there's also a ton of city workers. Uh, what was cool to see is um, workers from the transportation department were out there offering people free gas to start their uh, cars. They were offering jumps. They were 
doing some minor car maintenance to help people get their cars up and running so they didn't get towed. Um, and then, of course, there are uh, some caseworkers walking around uh, trying to offer help. But mm-hmm. when you try to offer help on that final day, it really amid all of the anxiety, I think it's hard to make those connections. If you were to go look, you'll probably see a lot of empty spaces where there were tents and just uh, some litter that still needs to be cleaned up. You know, I think from just a Portlanders perspective, who's kind of watched everything for the last, it's been really five, six years since there's first a state of housing emergency in the city under previous mayor. But there's always just this question of, okay, so what's the plan when they clear people away from, from these sites? And is there a plan or are, are, you know, there's something like 70 residents at Laurelhurst or they left to kind of figure things out on their own? Yeah, I would say there is quasi plan. I have covered evictions like this in other cities where there was a much more distinct plan. I've seen where um, cities take everyone and bus them to shelters and to motels, uh, renting out two full motels and working with folks over the next two months or so to transition them into permanent housing. Um, But that wasn't the case. There was some outreach done uh, over the past week with some caseworkers from like Cascadia Behavioral Health. There was someone from Commissioner Hardesty's office that kept coming out multiple times a week over the past like two and a half months trying to connect people. But um, really that level of outreach, I don't uh, think is enough to make a big impact. So what that means is that many of those 70 people will still be homeless. They'll just have to find another location or another sidewalk in the city to pitch their tent. Um, We hopefully will know in the next week harder numbers of who ended up where, but it is hard to keep track of people because um, either uh, they don't have cell phones or it's hard to keep them charged. So it's hard to like follow up and really track where people end up. Yeah. And then as for you as a as a reporter, you know, sources are, you know, really important to keep in touch with. And mm-hmm. and when you're when uh, some of the people that you talk to are difficult to reach for, you know, people who are trying to assist them, whether they're social service providers or, yeah. or you know, staff for elected officials. I mean, what's it like for you? Like, how, how are you able to maintain contact with people you've spoken with uh, since you've been in Portland? And can you talk about how challenging that can be? Yeah, it's very challenging, Um, especially since after a sweep, people are really afraid of being swept again. So I see a lot of people trying to kind of disappear more and find places where they're hard to find purposely so they're not kicked out. Um, So it can be hard to track people down. But another group of people, really, they have certain patterns of once they're kicked out here, they have one or two other spots where they continually go back to and they kind of cycle through the same few spots. So if you know those spots, it's easier to kind of follow up with them. And also there's a lot of activists on the ground who are um, out there even more than I am and working through them sometimes is helpful to track people down. Yeah, notwithstanding the pandemic that um, mm-hmm. we've been living through for the last year and a half and that you jumped into, you know, this new city and new beat, uh, well, that was still a huge factor. Mm-hmm. Pivoting to 
you know, another ongoing uh, news item on, on your beat. And that's uh, Commissioner Dan Ryan has led this effort to create more uh, city sanctioned um, and more permanent. Is it fair to say permanent or just more established um, campsites um, with services? What's the best way to describe that? A more established. They're made so that they can be popped up and broken down and moved elsewhere in the city. Okay. Um, what's the latest as of, you know, obviously we're talking, like I said, in, in late July and things are still moving, but uh, can you describe that plan and um, to the extent you're able to talk about how it's being received so far from whether it's, you know, the rest of the council or neighborhood mm-hmm. groups or, or advocates or people experiencing homelessness? Yeah, so the city council asked all city bureaus to dig into their um, land records and find plots of city-owned land that uh, could be used for the outdoor shelters. And these shelters look like um, like little pod homes, uh, something mm-hmm. more established than tents, but um, that still give individual privacy. So uh, the various bureaus provided a list of more than 70 sites across the city that are available. So in the next week or so, uh, the city staff will kind of scale that back to uh, perhaps like a dozen uh, sites to choose from, and they will eliminate sites based on uh, what kind of infrastructure is already there, you know, how easy it is to like hook up to water and power. Um, they'll look at how close these sites are to transportation, um, anything not close to a bus line or the max will be eliminated. Um, and then also the, they will look at, um, like how close these sites are to things like parks and schools. And this is what everyone has been asking for from people who are homeless to activists, to outreach workers, to house neighbors, someplace where folks can go that's established. So there are fewer people creating um, unsanctioned uh, camps throughout the city. Uh, What the contention is, though, is uh, where the sites are located. So, for example, one of the sites on the list is a community garden. So neighbors don't want their community garden taken away. And then, of course, there is the folks with a not in my backyard view. So they want these sites, they just don't want them in their neighborhood. So some people are already uh, showing they're a bit upset because a site in their neighborhood is listed. Uh, But we won't really know what the final choices will be for a couple of weeks. Um, And city, uh, uh, the city will host meetings. um, So people still have time to give feedback and uh, community comment. Nicole, I'm curious, uh, these, these locations, um, how much different or more substantial will they be than, um, some of the, you know, pretty long running, uh, communities that we've had here in Portland, um, Dignity Village comes to mind, Right to Dream 2, uh, Hazelnut Grove, which was, um, is still as of right now, uh, down off of, off of Greeley in North Portland, you know, how, how are these sites going to be different than than those three that have been around for a long time? Yeah, I think visually they will look very similar, but structure-wise, um, the city plans to have more services. So with the intent that these are temporary places with uh, like mental health services, housing services to really address people's long-term needs 
to kind of move people through these sites. So we don't have the same folks staying there long term, but that we can cycle people through and help as many individuals um, get into apartments as possible. Uh, so I think we will see uh, much more structure in terms of outreach workers there. What availability do we have in terms of um, apartments and shelter beds or uh, just a place for people to sleep that that isn't, you know, in one of these either established um, tent communities or, you know, out, you know, in in green spaces uh, off the beaten path? Are there places for people to go? The outdoor shelters like C3PO with the tiny homes, those are at capacity because people um, really like those. Uh, What is open is these larger mass shelters where people are sleeping on cots with um, hundreds of other people. Um, You know, those are pretty widely used, but there's still some space there. However, people often choose to sleep on the street rather than go there because uh, they are more comfortable on the street. They have more privacy. They feel safer. Um, Some people particularly when I talk to a lot of trans women who are homeless, they don't feel safe going to those shelters because they have been harassed or haven't been accepted. Um, so it's tough when you, we talk about how many shelter beds are available, because I think we would see that there are shelter beds available. But the bigger question is, um, are those serving people the best they can? And what can we do to make Uh, people feel safer going there. Well, let's take a break and we'll come back and talk more with Nicole Hayden. Nicole, we've talked about homelessness as a, as a nation, as a Mm -hmm. city for seemingly decades now. And, you know, I, comes to mind here in Portland, going back to former Mayor Bud Clark's plan to end homelessness. It seems like there's always been a playbook and nothing seems to move the needle. And obviously, we've had catastrophic times with the pandemic. But what, if anything, will will change the situation in, in uh, for people who, who are living out, out on the street uh, in Portland? Uh, Yeah, I think the simple answer is more money. So I think it's easy to look at the city and feel discouraged because homelessness is such a visual issue that we are tackling. But um, we do know how to house people and keep them housed. And the city and county really helps a lot of people every single year. But the thing that can make it feel hard to tackle is that More people are becoming homeless faster than they can house people. So even though we are successfully placing people in the apartments and providing them wraparound services, there are even more people um, coming into the system. And so we do know how to successfully do it, and that's provide them housing and then provide intensive support services. So that looks like behavioral health services, mental health, substance abuse, that's job training, that's helping people you know, really transition from living on the street to living in an apartment. You know, you kind of have to relearn some skills and having a caseworker there to help you navigate some of those smaller things that you might not think about is really helpful. And I think one thing we do struggle with is having enough of those caseworkers to provide enough support every single day. But the solution to that, to move the needle, is 
more federal funding. We will never have enough funding. So I think we do know how to solve this. We just need more money. Yeah. And Portland area voters, both, you know, just strictly in the county and really the whole metro area have have signed up and have approved, you know, funding measures, right, in, in mm-hmm. recent years. Um, so that's, and you've reported on the, the May 2020 uh, bond from, from Metro. Uh, can you talk about your reporting on that in case folks might have missed it, that, you know, the, the estimate in terms of revenue was not what was pitched to voters, right? Right. So that measure was meant to um, provide these supportive services we're talking about, like behavioral health and mental health and more housing vouchers. And when they initially put the bond out before they fully did the calculation, voters voted on it, and then they went back to kind of review the tax rules and found there were some double taxation issues. So once they accounted for that, the amount we're expected to get now is less than uh, they initially uh, projected. And at the end of the day, we're still going to be able to offer so many more services than we were before the measure was passed. However, it does mean that that, uh, counties will be offering fewer than expected, Um, but they had already accounted for that for the upcoming fiscal year. So it's, the years coming after that, you know, the next 10 years, uh, kind of being creative with the funding to make it go further. But to put it in perspective, the amount of funding that we're losing from that is about equivalent to the Multnomah County's current um, supportive housing program. So it's a significant amount of funding that uh, was miscalculated. And can you put that in a dollar figure? I mean, how many millions are we talking about? It is about 30 to 40 million less a year. Wow. And pivot to another piece of your uh, really thorough, excellent reporting in in recent weeks. Um, This is an entity that Portlanders might have heard of at some point. That's Clean and Safe. Um, Can you describe what Clean and Safe is? is and and what exactly the controversy about about that entity is and and how it relates to um, Portlanders who are experiencing homelessness. Yeah, so Clean and Safe is the enhanced services district for downtown and old town, which means that property owners in those neighborhoods pay fees um, to get uh, more services than the city is providing. So they use those fees to uh, pay for um, sidewalk cleaning and litter pickup and um, police and private security. Those are the two main things that uh, the money is used for. And then a really small portion of it goes to things like Christmas lights. And so the contract is up for renewal, which is why folks are talking about it right now. And uh, um, some of the pushback from homeless advocates is that uh, these enhanced services, the extra police, and particularly the security guards, are causing issues with homeless individuals. They're saying that the security guards look like police officers, but they don't have the same level of authority, yet they try to invoke that same level of authority since it's hard for people to tell the difference in uniforms. Um, So these security officers are reportedly 
uh, asking people to move from where they're sleeping, essentially, um, instead of just providing security for their private businesses, people are describing them as like sidewalk police, even though they argue they shouldn't have jurisdiction there. Advocates say it's not a fair thing to have uh, businesses be able to decide inadvertently where people who are homeless can sleep um, when they are allowed to sleep on sidewalks. So some folks are asking that uh, the city completely abolish the enhanced services district, while others are asking them to kind of pivot how the funding is used. Um, for example, like business owners really want uh, these extra services to address homelessness because they say it's impacting the viability of their business. But while some want more security to address mm -hmm. that, others are saying to really address the problem. What if we fund, um, you know, outreach workers or what if we contribute some funding to help with affordable housing there are still a few more public meetings before the uh, city will ultimately decide if they approve the new contract or not. So this is another one of those examples of, you know, an inflection point uh, with the contract being up for renewal. Uh, and maybe this is an opportunity to, to change the way we've been doing things. Um, Correct. And, yeah. Uh, obviously, that's been a huge huge discussion point um with the portland police bureau and and mm -hmm. how uh, we respond to uh, to calls of people whether they're experiencing homelessness or are just in a mental health crisis or uh, any number of uh issues that's been a long-standing discussion point right so I'm just curious, Nicole, you know, now that you've been in, in Portland and covering this beat for, you know, more than half a year now, how are things feeling or are things feeling, you know, I hate to use the <laughs> the words better or worse, but I mean, just what's the pulse of, uh, of the city from your perspective um, now related to your beat? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, before I was reporting on homelessness in California, which is a very liberal state, and they were really trying to push for our, some new ways to address homelessness, but they were behind in some aspects compared to Portland. In Portland, we have these alternative shelter models um, that people seem to respond better to, like the C-3PO villages we talked about and the new ones coming down the line. And we also have um, the new funding measure that we talked about. And those are two things that a lot of cities don't have. So in some ways, it feels very hopeful here and that, that there is really interesting conversation to push the needle forward. Um, but at the same time, like any city, uh, people are really fearing when um, the eviction moratorium ends and all of the impact from the pandemic and how we will handle that. So it feels like we're kind of walking on a anxiety-ridden tightrope of um, we really put ourselves in a better place than other places, but there's still so much to deal with, and sometimes it can feel impossible, but uh, I feel hopeful. Well, that's good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a little hope is little hope is good. Yeah. Um, is there anything else uh, that we hadn't hit on that y you would want to talk about? Yes, the last thing I would say is, you know, some of the big things uh, like the weather-related emergencies we've 
been experienced lately yeah. seem really terrible, but they've also pushed people to um, do things they haven't before. The last weather emergency, um, so many house neighbors that weren't out helping people before just took it upon themselves to hand out water and food and Gatorade and offer people to drive people to shelter. Um, so that was heartwarming. And, you know, if we, if neighbors did that every day, uh, we would be much different. Our neighborhoods would be much different. Yeah. It's a, a time of crisis. Yeah. Um, when it's 116 degrees, it, it doesn't always need to get to that point uh, mm-hmm. where people lend a hand. Well, it's, uh, certainly, um, fascinating times on any number of levels to be covering this topic and important beat in our city and thanks so much for your hard work and for coming on the show to talk about it yeah thanks for having me thanks for listening to beat check with the oregonian i shared a link to a few of nicole's recent stories about people experiencing homelessness and the city county and region's response in the episode notes If you like this show, give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts, or tell a friend. It really helps people find the program. If you value our journalism, the best way to show it is with a subscription to Oregon Live. You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time.